This is episode number 15 with data science enthusiast, Paul Brown. Welcome to the Super Data Science Podcast. My name is Kirill Eremenko, data science coach and lifestyle entrepreneur. And each week we bring you inspiring people and ideas to help you build your successful career in data science. Thanks for being here today. And now let's make the complex simple. Hey guys, welcome to the Super Data Science Podcast. I'm super excited to have you on board. And today we've got one of my students, Paul Brown, joining me for the podcast. We had a very interesting chat. And one thing you should know about Paul is that he is a self-learned data scientist. So he actually, Paul actually completed a degree in accounting. And while he was completing the degree in accounting, he was also doing some work on the side and he got into the space of data and he actually decided to continue pursuing that path. And so he learned everything from scratch. As you can imagine, they don't teach you R programming or Python in accounting. And yet Paul has picked up R, has picked up Python, has picked up Tableau and lots of other tools that we use in data science. And he's done all of that in his own free time. In fact, Paul is that type of person who brings new tools into his organization. So for instance, there were some challenges at work in terms of data and Paul decided to tackle those using R programming. Then at the same time, Paul is studying Python programming for his own side projects at home. And moreover, in this podcast, he will share exactly what they are and you will learn how Paul is using data science to make additional money on the side. I thought that was a very ingenious idea that Paul had and which he's pursuing right now. Also, we talked about some very interesting books and blogs. We'll mention a couple of books that uh, we're reading and what we've learned from them and a very interesting blog which you can follow along. So all in all, this is gonna be a very exciting episode, especially if you are in that stage of being unsure about how to proceed with learning data science and how to pick it up on your own and where you should start and whether or not you need these skills. Paul's a very inspirational guy. Can't wait for you to uh, listen to this episode. And without further ado, I bring to you Paul Brown. Hey everybody, welcome to the Super Data Science Podcast. Today I have one of my students, Paul Brown with me on the show today. Hi, Paul. Welcome to the show. How are you? Hi, Kirill. I'm doing great. Thanks for inviting me on. Awesome. And can you tell us a little bit about where you're from? You're in America. Which part are you in? I'm in America. I'm in Utah. I'm in a city called Ogden, about half an hour north of Salt Lake City. Okay, fantastic. And what brings you today to the show? Can you tell us how you found out about uh, data science, the data science courses I teach and how you got into data science? Yeah, um, I was working in Excel. I got to a point where I wanted more. And working online, I looked and saw Tableau as like a you know, data visual uh, software and looked for some ways to learn some Tableau, found Udemy, or some people call it Udemy. Uh, yeah. I'm not sure people understand or know uh, that most of the students say Udemy or Udemy. But I saw that you were a highly rated instructor on Udemy and took your courses and i interacted with you a couple of times i you know sent you some feedback sent you some emails and been listening to the podcast since podcast one and now we're here yeah yeah exactly and it's it's interesting how you say udemy versus udemy i also don't get it like it's so hard to understand what is the correct way to pronounce it when I go to the U.S., people say Udemy. When I'm outside, it's Udemy. It's and and you can't grasp uh, who like what is the most common way to say it. And I actually, Udemy actually sent me a survey, and one of the questions was, "Do you have trouble pronouncing our name to other people?" <laughs> they asked me that in a survey. So yeah. Wow, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. I wonder what they're they're gonna what their position is gonna be, what they're gonna choose. Yeah, so exactly. It's uh, it's right that um, you like I figured that, you know, you had some interesting feedback, some interesting comments. And then I checked out your LinkedIn. And by the way, guys, um, Paul's got a very uh, impressive LinkedIn and we'll get to that in a few minutes about all of his experience. And yeah, so I figured you got some interesting 
stories to tell and things to share. And before we get into your current experience and like how you use data science now, can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and me as well? Because I, I um, you know, we haven't communicated that much. So I, I don't know your background. Where, where, um, what did you study and uh, what um, did you learn back in the day before you actually got into data science? Right, right. I, I think my path is similar to a lot of maybe your listeners and other guests where I didn't really know what I wanted to do in, in college. Um, an uncle said to me in like the mid 90s when I was much younger than I am now um, that I liked math and business. And he said that I should be an accountant. And so I got my degree in accounting. But if you think about that now, Kiro, like think about if someone was asked you, like, what should I do for my career? And they said, you asked them, what do you, what do you like? And they said, math and business. There's just so many career paths nowadays to go down. Um, back then, accounting seemed normal, and, and, and that's what I did. However, while I was working, um, I went to school full-time and worked full-time. And at work, I started getting into the data, becoming the go-to guy for data. And after I got my degree in accounting, I decided to keep going in data and learned basically from scratch, you know, Excel, and then started getting into R and Python. And we can talk a little bit about some of the stuff I'm doing there. And I um, worked for a company called MarketStar, which is like a sales and marketing and business process um, like agency, like an outsourcing company. So I've had the chance to work with a lot of different companies that you've probably heard of, like Google, for example, is yeah. one, one of the companies I worked with. Um, I'm with HPE, which is Hewlett Packard Enterprise now. Mm. Um, and so I'm doing data uh, with them now. So that's that's kind of my background. I started accounting and now I'm doing data science stuff. That's really cool because I can really relate to that. I also started in accounting. I actually uh, did a degree in accounting as well. Uh, my uh, my master's is in accounting. And then after that, I moved on to Deloitte. And for me, it somehow randomly happened that uh, they put me in the forensics department, like they could mix up my application or something. And there they said, oh, you'd be good at data stuff. And since then, I've never looked back. And you're totally right. Like, if you ask somebody now, if somebody tells you I'm good at uh, programming and math, and what should I do? There's so many options. But back in the day, um, you know, like accounting was a one of them, uh, one of those options that is very popular and sounds like a secure job, sounds like a stable type of thing. And kind of like just stands to say how quickly our world is evolving and how like in the next 10 years, the top 10 professions that are going to be dominating the the market or the world in the next 10 years, we don't even know what they are. They probably don't even exist at this stage. Yeah, and I like something you mentioned about Deloitte and they said that you're going to do a forensics and that's what you liked and you started doing that. It reminds me of my background as well. It's it, you know, I had managers that said, hey, Paul, you're good at data. You know, can you do this for me? Or I've noticed that you're doing this and you should you know, you should do more of it. I think that managers and leaders have an important role in helping tease out people's abilities and their skills. So I, you know, I can say like my, some of my mentors have been those managers that have really said, Hey, I see you're good at this. You should do more of it. And that's really helped me out in my career. Yeah, totally. And we actually have a number of people listening to this podcast who are in that position, who are in a managerial or executive position. And I know this because we have run uh, surveys uh, asking people what uh, what they want from data science and what uh, kind of work they do. And uh, to those of the you guys listening to this who are in such positions, it's really great advice that uh, you need to tease out uh, the skills and talents in people. It is, it is your responsibility to put people on the right track. It is also, of course, a person's responsibility, but um, you have that extra visibility of what they're doing and that opportunity to help them and guide them. And just following on from your accounting, uh, Paul, what um, is there any skills that you developed in your accounting degree that you would say are helping you in your day-to-day -day role while you're applying data science? I'd, I'd say with accounting, and I kind of went towards tax accounting, mm. that there's so many um, rules and laws and regulations that you have to be aware of in order to make a, a good judgment call. Because a lot of my professors would come to us with a certain question 
some scenario and the answer would always be it depends <laughs> right like it depends on so many different factors yeah so that kind of has it stuck with me throughout the years as i've grown in my analytics roles of you know not just taking you know someone's um, opinion or the comment to heart and saying that that's that's the way it is and let's run with it you kind of you know in a good way second guess and double check to say okay that makes sense or have you thought about this information i think accounting kind of forces you to think of a lot of different options a lot of different paths to like an optimal you know end goal very interesting and not the first thing that comes to mind right when you think of accounting because like for yeah. me accounting is like i would think uh, or for somebody just Talking about accounting is kind of like a strict rules and laws, you know, left, right, and that's it. But in reality, you're right. It's uh, there's always, or often there's options to, um, you know, debate or to try to see if there's a different approach to solving the same problem. Right. All right. Cool. And um, so, tell us a bit more about what you do now. So you mentioned you work in a company called. Uh, Market Star, and you've done some work with Google and with uh, Hewlett Packard Enterprise. So those are huge companies. Um, what services do you guys offer them, and what is specifically your role in that uh, in those services? So the main, the, the the basic service that Market Star provides is sales and marketing for companies. So if you had a product or a service or wanted to generate leads for your business. You might hire MarketStar to do that for you instead of building out your own sales and marketing department. Um, and so we you know, we leverage that you know, we can do it better because we have lots more experience. So it'll be cheaper, cheaper, etc. And so I worked with Google on their Google Retail program, and they sell you know they sell tablets. Chromebooks is a big Google product that they sell. And so we had a, a bunch of um, sales representatives going out to retail stores, a lot of the electronic stores to sell these Google products. Chromecast is another one. Amazing product, by the way. Um, and my job was to collect the information that those sales reps were um, were experiencing while they were in store. So for example, they'd interact with customers, um, ask customers about um, reasons why they liked or did not like a product. They'd submit information about how many sales they had and you know lots of lots of data collected through a customer relationship management tool a CRM like a kind of like a salesforce and my role was um, to um, collect that data and provide reporting and provide uh, feedback and insights to Google on how their program was running what we could do to improve that program um, through promotions or where we think that we should add more people because there's a lot of foot traffic in certain stores um, things like that. And I, I moved over to the HPE, Hewlett Packard Enterprise, about a year ago. And it's kind of a big jump. It went, I went from the retail side to a B2B type environment where we have like partners or, or vendors that sell HPE products. And my role there, we have a sales team, is to um, provide, provide reporting for, for them, for multiple teams that sell those products. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's very interesting. And uh, I like how you mentioned that the, these companies, uh, you'd assume Google with their funding and their size, they can do anything, but uh, they still choose to outsource some of these tasks uh, to more experienced uh, companies and uh, with, with the right people and tools. And so speaking of tools, what kind of tools do you use in your day-to-day role? So day-to-day, I'm probably working mostly in Excel and Microsoft SQL Server. Mm-hmm. And then every week or two, I'm, I'm in R and mm-hmm. Tableau. I say Tableau, I'm in there every other day. Uh-huh. Okay. Tableau. Yeah, Tableau is uh, is pretty popular and very powerful tool. So, okay, so Excel, SQL, R, Tableau, that's a huge suite of tools. Was it uh, challenging to get up up to speed with all of them? How How did you go about learning all these tools? Excel um, kind of came naturally. I did take a course at university mm-hmm. to learn that, but I did a lot of, as many people do, you know, like Google searches, YouTube videos, um, just learn some things and applied it to the next task. And then, then the next task, I learned some new things and just kind of built my skill there. 
at MarketStar, we had some people train us on SQL. Yep. And we went from a kind of a situation where we had individuals just doing Excel and reporting and then other individuals doing SQL. Um, and they've recently tried to uh, get everyone trained up on Excel and SQL. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's mm-hmm. what I've learned that. And then R has been your courses on Udemy. Uh, oh, thank you. You're real trained in R. Yeah. <laughs> Wonderful. And Tableau? You too, Tableau. Oh. As well. Okay, that, that's really cool. So um, did you need to pick them up rapidly or was it something like a gradual transition that your company introduced them? Or when you came into the company, they already were using R and Tableau? They they actually don't use R and Tableau at all right now. Oh, um, okay. I, on my own, have put that together. I've presented it um, to management and they're on board and we're kind of on top, in talks of adopting Tableau, which would yeah. be amazing. Uh, we do have an advanced analytics department that uses R and some other GMDH is uh, two other advanced analytics tools like and Gretel. I think that you've mm-hmm. used Gretel before. Yep. Um, we're not really keen on R um, and Python so much. We're kind of just in the uh, beginning stages of introducing that in our company. Very interesting. So you even not being in an executive position being um you know like doing the, the actual work you decided for yourself that r and tableau are the tools that you need and they will make your work easier and you just 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 introduced them started using them and like talked to the company about adopting them is that correct yeah yeah that like, is so cool yeah i definitely think that like a lot of us analysts and data people are all about efficiency and optimization um, and I'm in that boat as well and I find myself in Excel hell a lot <laughs> just shaking my head thinking man Excel can't do this or it's taking so long to do that and I need this large data set you know to put in and I just Excel is hard so like okay what's next okay SQL what's after that R and so I've started introducing that and I've presented a, a model I put together in R to the advanced analytics team and they are going to take it up and, and use it as a product that we sell to other companies. So it's fantastic. It's gone well. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, well, tell me this then. I also had this situation once when I was working in a company and they didn't have Tableau. No, they did have Tableau. They didn't have R. Uh, they didn't have any of these other tools. And I wanted to introduce R. So I said to them, hey, guys, like, you know, this problem will be easier solved in R. We can do this with R. We can do that. And um, it, like some of them were excited. But the main pushback was the fact that it has to go through a lot of compliance reviews. And especially that R is a uh, free uh, freeware or free software, right? So that you don't have to pay for it. From my perspective, it's a good thing. But from a company's, from a large company's perspective, it's actually a dangerous thing, meaning that there's no support and there nobody will take liability for anything that goes wrong with the tool. So did you ever encounter this kind of adverse reaction or pushback from your company when you were talking about introducing these tools and uh, explaining to them that you have already started using them in your day-to-day role? Oh, yeah, definitely. Luckily, not from upper management, like the executive vice president is on board to introduce some of these tools. Mm-hmm. But some of the, the people I work with day to day would, you know, it, it would be like a, a heated conversation about like, well, you can't, you can't learn about R because what if you leave and we have all your reports you've done on R and no one knows R, you know, that's going to be a huge deal. Like, like, no, don't learn R. Like we should, you got to, <laughs> you got to stay in Excel. So it's, you got to overcome those people, right, Carol? And just got to keep going. So I, so talking to upper management about, if they want to expand their product um, products that they sell to other companies, advanced analytics, um, they're going to need to get more advanced tools. We can't do the advanced analytics, the predictive analytics that we want to do without these advanced tools. And you know, your people need to be trained on that. So they've they've bought in, and uh, I wouldn't say that there's a huge, huge there's huge pushback, but just from a, a few certain individuals, it's it's hard to overcome change. Yeah, totally. And uh, at the same time, like, I think they have valid comments. Like, I I can't completely disagree with somebody who tells me or tells you in this case that, 
hey, um, you know, Paul, it's really cool you're learning R and you're you're applying it, but what if you leave? And then nobody here will be able to understand it. So uh, on one hand, they can't just tell you not to learn it. But on the other hand, you guys have to work together. You can't just be the only person learning and applying R in the company and then everybody else doesn't know what's going on. So I think, I feel like the comment, some of the comments are valid. It's just the way they... Um, go from there is is not probably not always the best situation when people say okay you just can't learn it and that's it that's a red flag and uh, in that sense i really appreciate you sharing how you got the executives on board and i feel that for me it also has been a kind of the same scenario that when i want to introduce something want to learn something new you get a lot of pushback from the people uh, you might get it not, not always but you might get a lot of pushback from people right above you and then the people above them but if you circumvent that and you know uh, bump into the CEO in the corridor or in, or in the elevator and you explain to him how much value this will bring right at the end of the day because you know machine learning and algorithms and visualization techniques and all of this advanced analytics uh, stuff if you convey that to the people at the very top then that changes the whole playing field right they as soon as they're on board everybody else all of a sudden gets on board right definitely yeah. All right. Cool. So um, speaking of R and uh, Tableau, how come you haven't mentioned Python? Because when we talked before, you said that you've, uh, you know, you're, you're also learning Python and you've used it before. Um, you don't use Python at work, but you use it for other things. Is that correct? That's right. Yeah. I, I, I don't do Python per se at work, but I, I do have like a side hustle, a side business where I buy and sell things online. Yeah, can and, you tell us more about that? I think that is when you told me about that story. I think that was the coolest thing ever. Like how you used guys. This is this is a <laughs> snippet of how to use data science to make money on the side. Get your pens and pencils and papers out. Start writing notes. This is gonna be awesome. <laughs> Thanks, Kiro. <laughs> um, so I use a tactic called retail arbitrage, uh, which is pretty common now. And I think in the future with uh, AI, like artificial intelligence, like this will go away. But for now, um, I buy things on a, a website called Kohl's, or it's a department store, Kohl's, or a store here in the United States. And um, I resell those products on Amazon. And so I found myself constantly checking the Kohl's website for the price of the product. And then, okay, how much does that product sell for on Amazon? How much will I make? One at a time. And I thought, man, this, this is taking way too long, like hours of my night, like I don't, this isn't going to work. I've been reading up on Python and web scraping. And so I, I've used Python. I built a very rudimentary script in Python to pull some of that data from the web, from Kohl's, um, using this a scrappy library or scraping. It's called scrapy and beautiful soup in Python um, to pull that data and to kind of get a list together to um, see what the best prices were, the best and biggest discounts were on those products. And so I just go to those products now and just buy them up. And I don't have to go one by one, uh, you know, my, from my cold screen to the Amazon screen screen. It's just uh, made things a lot more efficient um, and made me more money. That That is fantastic. And um, so that's, it's a worthwhile exercise. That's what you're telling us. It's like the, um, the return on your time invested is worth it. Oh, totally. And there's, you know, there's so many people at work that I feel I've have the skills to do this kind of stuff, yeah. but they're not thinking about it. It's like, oh man, if you can connect the people, the entrepreneurial mind yeah. with the engineers and just like create businesses. Like that's, that's what most business, most of the startups do nowadays, but there's so much out there. Like I just got to connect people that have the skill set to help grow businesses. It's it's so interesting that you mentioned that that this whole exact same model. Uh, there's an entrepreneur in the U.S. I don't know if you've heard of her. Her name's Sofia Amoruso. Have you heard of her? I think so. Yeah. So she she's actually very big now, and they're they're uh, they're record they're filming a um, TV show for Netflix about her life, and I think. Um, what that South African actress, she's not going to be acting there, but she's going to be producing it. Um, but anyway, the point is, Sofia Marusa, she started out the same exact way about like, you know, 12, 15 years ago. Um, she, or maybe 10, I don't know. Like she, um, she was buying stuff 
I don't know where, like in, in shops on uh, somewhere like physical shops or maybe online stores as well. Yeah. And, and then she was reselling them on eBay at, you know, at a, at a higher price. And now if you want to learn more about Sofia Marusa, just search for the hashtag boss girl. She's got this whole brand boss girl. And she's, she's from there from starting like, doing this thrift shopping and selling it all over. Now she's got like a $300 million empire with hundreds of employees and she's huge. Wow. She does public speaking. Like I actually saw her speaking publicly at an, or um, doing a, a Q&A session at an event where I was in San Francisco like a couple months ago. And yeah, it's just fascinating, you know, where you can get to. And, you know, you say, telling this story is just reminding me of her. So yeah. guys, like I, I got a feeling, Paul, that you're going to get a lot of LinkedIn requests after this podcast. People <laughs> wanting to know more about this and maybe, maybe you never know, maybe you'll find somebody to team up with and uh, build a, a, a venture that will be doing this automatically. That'd be awesome. Yeah. That'd be good. So guys, after this podcast, hit up Paul on LinkedIn and torture him with questions. Okay, cool. So you, uh, you're a very kind of like a self-learning type of person, right? So you learn R for work, you picked up some Tableau, and then you also introduced it for work, and then you decide, oh, why don't I pick up Python because I want to solve this uh, problem at on my side thing where I can automate a lot of stuff. Like, can you tell me um, what pushes you forward to keep learning these data science tools? This is this is not not normal, as you can imagine. People just don't <laughs> don't just decide to learn Python, wake up and decide to learn Python. It's it's quite a complex language. It takes time, especially if you're already learning R and Tableau. What keeps you going? What pushes you forward? What motivates you? Well, I think I, I definitely have like a an internal fire that drives me to learn more. It, it makes me happy to learn more, but I think um, I, talking to some some of my coworkers, we've asked ourselves this question: um, like, what's next, or how come how come we're not learning more, or what if we lost our jobs? You know, could we get a new job? What's the career climate out there for someone that does um, reporting in Excel and a little bit of Tableau? Like, there, I, I always feel like there's just more to learn, and like. A lot of your guests have mentioned just like the the pull to data science. The, the it's in the e, the ether. It's just out there. Like data science is calling me. Um, <laughs> Love it's, it. It's, it's weird like that. It's just like it's it's something that I've been drawn to. Hmm. Um, and it's I feel like the trajectory of my career. If I'm not if I'm not learning, I'm going backwards. And um, that's that's what's kept me going. That's awesome, man. I love how you say data science is calling you. Like I, I can feel the same, right? I can, I know I have the same feeling and I've had it for some time now, but what would you recommend to people who, who don't have that feeling, who, who are curious about data science, who want to know more, who have, who've done their research, who know that this is probably where it's going. But at the same time, it seems like a huge forest of all of these unknown things, R, Python, SQL, machine learning, Hadoop, and so on. There's so much to grasp. Like, what would you recommend for them? Uh, what steps to take to develop this feeling that data science is calling them to become as passionate about learning data science as you are currently? Right. If you're that person, like one one book, and I'll just say this is the book I'd recommend for you, Carolyn, is um, yep. The Obstacle is the Way. It's, um, it's, it's on stoic philosophy. So it's not a data science book or a data book, for example, but it's, it basically talks about that the obstacle in the path is the path. It becomes the path. And so if you want to be a data science, the obstacle is, you know, learning these languages, Python, R, Hadoop, these, these things that you read about, you know, it's, it's easy to, to type into Google data science or what should I learn, R or Python? and read up about it. And I found myself being that person for like months, like, Oh, which one should I start? Which one's going to give me the most, you know, value, value add for my career. Um, but it didn't really change until I just started doing it. There's so many resources out there, Coursera, Udemy, that instructors like yourself are willing to share valuable skills and knowledge, um, with us. And, and yeah, it's hard, but, the obstacle in the path becomes the path and becomes the path becomes the path. It never changes. It keep, you have to keep going. And that's, what's motivated me when I feel down and I'm like, Oh, like I can't, 
I don't want to learn R. The script is really hard. Or what's a vector? What's a matrix? I think like I got to do it. And there's people out there that are doing it that if I don't do it, they'll pass me up. So that's what's kind of driven me. That is so cool. I love that um, metaphor and the whole um, explanation. And you're right. There's always people catching up to you uh, on your toes and they're, they're coming close if you look in the rear view mirror. And this book, Obstacles Away, I haven't read it myself, but that's a, a book by Ryan Holiday, right? That's right. Yep. And I'm. it's funny because I'm actually right now, I'm reading on my Kindle, I'm reading a book called uh, Ego is the Enemy, which is the second book by Ryan Holiday, the, the next step in that. And so for those of you who haven't heard of Ryan Holiday, he's a, he's a pretty cool author. And he's got these books where he's very honest about life and about this this stoic philosophy and he actually has got these the names of his books tattooed on his arms like on the left one i think he's got the obstacles away on the one right one ego is the enemy and um so the one i'm reading really eye-opening so uh after your comments on obstacles away i'm definitely going to pick that up and check it out because that that is such a you know like an open mind opening or eye-opening philosophy that these obstacles that are seem to be in your way of you know getting to a successful career in data science you know learning r and mastering python all these obstacles that if you think of them as obstacles then yeah you'll probably never get to the end but if you actually acknowledge and accept that these obstacles are the way itself this is the path it's not an obstacle that is the path you've been you've been misled you've been your brain is misleading you to thinking that these are obstacles. This is actually the path itself. As soon as you grasp that, I can totally see how every challenge that comes your way becomes exciting rather than becomes a, a problem that you have to solve. Yeah, I, I always laugh when I see the title of some of the trainings that say, learn all of R in one training. And I look <laughs> and it's like six hours long and I'm like, oh, this that's not right. Like you have, it's going to take a long time. Like learn R in 10, you know, 10 lessons, maybe, or, you know, all this, um, it's, it's difficult and you can't, there's no easier, easy way around it. You can't take the quick road to become a data scientist. There's no quick road as I'm sure, you know, your listeners and your guests that you've had in the past have just, that's there. You just have to do it and have mm -hmm. to put in the work. Exactly. And you know, I don't even want to say now, uh, like I was going to say, bite the bullet and do it, but it's not about biting the bullet, right? If you think of it as an obstacle, it's about biting the bullet. If you think of it as the path, you just, you know, you just start walking and you just start going and, you know, like every single day you learn something new and it should be exciting. If, if it's not exciting, then you're thinking about it the wrong way, right? Yeah, you shouldn't dread it. It should be um, giving you value. There's like an intrinsic, intrinsic reward in the process of learning and i've learned that a lot it's like there are hard parts yeah but um as you're you need to learn the learn to love the process of learning and once i kind of figured that out it's it's helped me just tremendously mm -hmm. totally agree with that and like we chatted a little bit before and you sent me a couple of things that you'd like to talk about and one of them was communication is king and can you elaborate a bit more on that? So I'm assuming that is about how uh, not only the data science tools are important, but also uh, communicating the insights. Can you tell us a bit, a bit more why you think communication is king? Yeah, um, I did an internship in Chicago a few years back. It is over a summer. And at the end, we had a big presentation where we talked about what we learned. And I think the biggest takeaway was literally, if you have a question, pick up the phone and call that person or go to their desk and talk to them. Like just that. And basically it's, if you want something done, it's, it's not that hard just to pick up the phone and call someone or Skype them or you know, go to their desk. If you're on site, it gets things done so much faster. I think so many people, you know, I find myself doing this sometimes they send emails and they wait for a response. Days goes by no response. Oh, you sent a follow-up email, you know, five days later, days goes by. And then maybe your project is, is done or it goes, it, it goes away and no one knows what you were trying to did. And they, all they think about is, Oh, Paul started some project, but it never got finished. So if you want to you know, execute um, a project, a, a task, or some kind of 
you know, project that you're working on, it's, it's communication. I think that's what really separates a lot of like myself and a lot of the data scientists as they describe their roles from um, maybe the IT guys and the salespeople is they're able to communicate the maybe complex findings um, derived from like data mining and whatnot to the stakeholders, the executives, the managers that need that information. They're able to communicate that information in a way that you know they can understand it. And I think you know I, that communication is so important to me that I've looked into it and started to take like a, a public speaking course and things like that, where it's like, I, I need to be, be a better communicator. Um, what can I do to be a better communicator? Because I know that's a huge, it's a really big piece of the data scientist toolkit, so to speak. Okay. Um, so there's, just to clarify this, so there's almost like two uh, areas that you mentioned just now. First of all, if you want to get stuff done, go talk to people, right? You know, sending an email is good. And, uh, but if, if there's no reply or whatever, you just go and you talk to people, pick up the phone. And a lot of the time talking to people, you get a lot of, a lot more sorted out. And the second item was that, um, actually, uh, presenting and being able to present findings that you derive from uh, your analytics is what separates, uh, a data scientist from, a person who can just, you know, crunch the numbers, right? And that's why you're taking this public speaking course or thinking about improving your uh, speaking skills, correct? Right. And it's it's definitely something that I don't think a lot of people take um, as super important when they come out of school. But I think that, that really makes you stand out from those that they might be you know, super good programmers and coders and could do really anything, but they're unable to like talk to the right people that make the, you know, the main decisions for the business to actually um, be valuable. And, you know, they might get lost if they don't, if they're not able to communicate those things. Um, it's, it, it's basically useless. And so that's a, it's a huge skill to have. And I, I definitely can use a lot more of it. Yeah. It's a skill that you can always keep improving. Never. You never can master it because it's always, you're always going to be a bit, you know, when you go on stage, for example, you're always going to be a bit nervous, but with time you'll get less and less nervous. All right. So that's very interesting. We like, we've ventured into an interesting area now about, uh, you know, how to approach learning data science and um, some of like the tools that you use and uh, also speaking. And uh, now that we know a bit more about uh, you know, Paul and the, I think our listeners by now are, can relate to you in many ways, can you tell us a bit more about your work? Like, so what does a day-to-day um, operation or how does your day look like when you get into the office, uh, you know, you open up R or Python, what kind of analytics do you perform what kind of insights do you derive and then how do you go about communicating them? Yeah, I, I think that I can best describe that with a recent project that I've been working on. That would um, be great. Yeah, so we, we're working on a, um, like a vendor a partner selection tool for the HPE program that I'm working with. Um, so these are companies that sell HPE products and there's about 10,000 plus of them in the United States. And so we have a sales team that, that basically is geo-demographically segmented. Um, they select partners in those territories. And in, before my role, there was no really formal selection process. Um, they were given a list of the partners they could select and just pick them randomly. Obviously not randomly, yeah. um, but ones that they felt were you know, selling a lot or they had good relationships with. There was no really like data-driven insights on, on which partners they should pick. And so in the last few weeks, I've created a, a model to help determine and, and tier some of those partners and help the sales team pick the right ones based on a few metrics that we came to an agreement on that would uh, be part of their selection process. Mm, okay. And what tools did you use for that? So we used Excel at first, and then I've, I've transformed it into R. Um, we used a, a, a model called an RFMVT, and that stands for Recency, Frequency, Monetary, Variability, and Trend. Um, and also added in a couple other factors. It's basically when you talk to your 
uh, your stakeholders or the sales team? You know, what are the factors that go into deciding which partner to select? And we kind of was all down and decided which, what weighting we wanted to give to each of those, et cetera. And, and so in R, we basically created uh, a script to, to tier those, those partners, tier A, B, C, and D, and provide some scoring and, and recommendations on which, you know, if we had 30 sales reps in these 30 territories, which partners should they choose and why? And um, giving that to the, you know, the managers to um, utilize in their decision making. Okay. And so, and so uh, how often do you run this script? Is it something that you've automated or do you run it on like a weekly basis or a monthly basis? So they do a selection process um, every year. So it's just a once a year tool, really. And so one thing that's kind of got me excited uh, on plans on how to improve it next year and then also look back maybe a year and analyze what would have happened if we had used this model last year understand you know did we is the model work did the partners that we select did they perform you know better than we anticipated or worse than we anticipated um and putting that all into r and just you know hitting hitting go has been phenomenal i actually i put it together in excel it took me like five excel workbooks and just it was just a mess as mm. you can imagine yeah <laughs> yeah i can imagine and um then did it end up uh, faster to uh, execute or faster to put together in R? Oh yeah, and literally I can, so if we get new sales data, I can refresh it and send out like the new list with the tiers in like less than a half an hour. Okay, that's that's very good. And can you tell me, I had this question now pop up in my head, that you being the one of the few, if not the only person in your company that actually knows R and uses R, how do you go about QAing your work? How do you go about checking that everything is right, that there's no errors in your scripts, that the results are being popped out there correct? Luckily, there is someone else that uses R in the company. <laughs> Otherwise, um, there's two, I guess, two checks. One, I built it all in Excel. And so I was able to like check myself as I was building it in R. And there's two people on my team and we both work on the same model. And so there was some two-step two you know, uh, quality controls. Um, but the other person that's that, that in, my, in my company that knows R, um, I'm working with him to have them introduce this product to not just my team, but the other teams or clients, vendors that we work with um, and providing some kind of like this RFMBT model to them as well. And so that, that person that knows R is part of the product team that when we sell market star sales, um, a product to you know a company like Google or Verizon or Oracle or into all these there's a lot of companies we work with. Um, they say, oh, we have this model that we can run, and you know, this is the value add that it provides. And so, you know, luckily I've got you know uh, two people that one person knows R and one that knows Excel really well that we were able to do the the checks. Okay, all right, so that's that's good to know. And um, would you say it's important to have these checks? So for our listeners, for the benefit of our listeners. Uh, that are you know like uh, creating models or uh, doing certain analytics. How important would you say it is to have your work QA'd and checked by a peer? Oh, obviously the answer is hugely important, right? Oh, for sure. Yeah, it it is because I I've been caught in a couple of a couple of times where it's hey I don't know if this this information's right. And can you go back and check it? And you hate to hear that, right? Yeah. You hate to hear, oh, oh the, uh, the data, I, I, I must have made a mistake. Yeah. And so we, we do go through, you know, those processes of double check. And I, you know, I've got the counterpart that I work with. I'll just give it to him raw, basically, and just say, hey, you know, go at this um, from scratch and, you know, look for any inconsistencies. And that's him and I kind of go back and forth on, on that. We work together closely. And so we, we would do that before before we send it out live, right? Yeah, totally. And uh, I think everybody's been through those moments, like me as well. I've, I've had situations where people have pulled me up and said, hey, Carol, no, this is wrong. Like, this is obviously wrong. You, is this something is in your, wrong in your code or whatever? And um, you definitely want to catch those before uh, the 
results or your product, whatever you're creating goes live and uh, goes out into the public or goes into your partners or to your customers. And if something's wrong there, then that is just horrible. So uh, everybody listening to this, like QA is so, so, so important. I cannot stress how important it is, especially in a data science type of role, which combines so many different tools and also your creativity goes into the work and also um, you know, the data itself might have issues and things like that. There's so many areas where something could go wrong. And if you're not queuing your work, you have to start doing that uh, as soon as possible because, uh, you know, you don't want to get to that point where something goes wrong and it goes all the way to the end, to the end user or to your executives. And then even worse, they make a decision based on that. And then, yeah, that's going to be And this this point you're making was even like hit home harder when I, um, you had, I think I was on episode, this is the last episode, yeah, uh, episode 10. Oh, yeah, he, yeah, yeah, with, oh, uh, yeah, of the podcast, yeah. Of the podcast, he he mentioned something like uh, they hired someone to check the models, like just that was their job. Like, wow, like, yeah, you definitely got to QA um, you know, the things that you build, and if you don't have another person, now, how do you QA that? I thought about that recently since listening to your podcast. Yeah, yeah, totally. And um, yeah, so now you just have to find a person who knows Python to QA <laughs> your side stuff, side business. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, so tell me, what is uh, like, what has been the biggest challenge for you as a data scientist? I'd say like... Um, Def- definitely, I, I wouldn't call myself a data scientist, and that's maybe another question. Like, what when do you cross that threshold from like analyst to data scientist? Mm-hmm. But I, I'd say like the biggest challenge for sure is learning the uh, the techniques. Mm-hmm. Uh, R has been you know difficult, but having you know, the, uh, the the training from you and and other um, forms of of education have been helpful. Um, but I I think I think it's been weird because the company I work for, we're at this point where everyone wants to be like a data scientist. Everyone wants to learn new stuff. Um, and we're just trying to figure out like who, who should learn R and who should learn Python and what's the most uh, important skill that a data scientist needs to know now, what's the next step. And I think that's been a struggle. Like I know, like, because a lot of us, we don't have necessarily the, um, you know, the PhD in economics or the doctorate in finance, th- things um, that some of your other guests have. But I'm, I feel totally underqualified. Side note, Kirill, to be on this yeah. podcast. Uh, but, but like, regardless, like we, we want to learn more. I think the challenge has been what's the next step. And, you know, yeah, I've, I've learned some more, I've learned some Python and, there's this obstacle and, you know, how do we overcome it? But that's, I guess that's me fumbling through the, the, this answer to your question of, um, of how do we take a company where we've been basically Excel and SQL driven to the next level without, without, what, do we hire outside our programmers or Python programmers or do we all, oh, I got, I don't know. We're kind of at a loss for that right now. <laughs> all right. Yeah, no, that sounds like something you guys, really got to figure out, but it's a good problem to have, right? It's a good problem to have when you have all these people who want to be data scientists, who want to learn all this stuff. It's, uh, it's just a matter of uh, structuring the process and understanding what, uh, like you said, what the most important skill is. And on on that, I wanted to ask you, what do you think is the most important skill for a uh, data scientist? Well, since I'm pretty young in it, I'd I'd say um, R has been super helpful. Mm. Um, it's been super helpful to, to take those four or five workbook Excel files or projects and just condense them into one, um, R script, um, that, that in itself has been revolutionary. It frees me up to do more tasks, yeah. um, to, yeah. to do more advanced analytics, talk to more stakeholders, look at you know, older reports that we've been sending out. How do we optimize those? Um, I, I would imagine, you know, other people would say Python, Python is more important. Yeah. Um, I think R has been helpful to like kind of optimize those reports that we use, you know, we use Excel and SQL now to, to generate reporting. 
um, but are getting the data set put together. It's, it's been enabled us to um, be more analytically minded and be more robust in our modeling to say like, we can bring in 8 million rows of data. And I know that might be a small number for some people, but that's a huge number for us and our company. Like, oh, wow, eight, we can't, we could never work with 8 million rows before. Um, but now, but now we can with R. So that's, that's been a big, big help for us and our company. All right. Fantastic. Thank you. Thank you so much. And um, what would you say is your favorite, your one most favorite thing about being a data scientist? I think a lot of, um, I have an answer similar to a lot of your guests it's, and maybe yourself. It's, it's taking a complex puzzle, um, a difficult task, maybe an abstract thought. It would be interesting if this such and such, you know, you hear in a meeting and you, you take it and run with it and you collect the data, you clean the data, you tidy the data up, create a script for it. You start exploring the data and then it, it sounds kind of um, a juvenile, but like going to your your boss or manager and saying, "Hey, look what I found!" <laughs> or, you know, this is this is something that could change the business. This is going to be a huge deal. And they say, "Wow, this is amazing!" You know, working together with management to make big, you know, business changing decisions is motivational to me. Yeah, totally. And that whole process of solving the puzzle i can totally relate to that it's it's like it's like i don't know reading a book and not knowing what the end is going to be like that's that's kind of the feeling you get it's it's um not just motivational it's it's inspiring and it's it's like there's some sort of mystery to it and you get all excited about it totally totally agree with you yeah and the harder the task is the the more special that moment is when you find like the answer to your question yeah yeah exactly um and from where you are um, at right now in your career, in uh, your knowledge of the world and what, what you see around you, where do you think the field of data science is going? And what should our listeners, from your perspective, look into in order to prepare for the future of this field? So I'm not sure about data science directly, other than we'll need to continuously learn and learn new languages as they come out. Um, there's going to be more and more, obviously, and just learning to learn. I think you've talked about it on your podcast, mm-hmm. uh, just being good at that, trying to be a good learner. Um, but I think a few things that have got me excited for the future is I think you do you read uh, waitbutwhy.com? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, a lot of the stuff there has got me super excited, like the artificial intelligence, Elon Musk, SpaceX, Mars, uh, automated vehicles. Um, I think, you know, like data science will thrive in every field, like not just those, but like everywhere, more and more people will begin to like rely on it. Like universities, a lot, not a ton of universities offer like a data science degree. And I think more and more are getting on board and that's kind of the direction things are going. And I think the internet of things is a huge deal. Um, like Google home and the Amazon Alexa mm-hmm. Siri, that data science will be a big part of everyone's personal lives in their home. Like, you know, kind of like Iron Man talking to Jarvis, right? It's just, that's, I can see that happening. And the crazy thing is I don't see it happening in like 25 years. I see it happening in like five years. Yeah. Yeah, totally. That's where we headed. And um, I like that you mentioned the Wait But Why blog. So we're definitely going to include that in the show notes. One of my favorite blogs. Uh, I don't read that many at all, but this, this one I do like, enjoy. There's so many interesting things there. And uh, like he published an article, a blog on on the elections, and he called it like literally two a few days ago on, and he said um, it's going to it's going to be okay. And that blog post got a million shares in one night. It's that wow. popular, yeah, I know. And they're all long, very long blog posts and very deep, meaningful thinking in these blog posts. So I, I totally love it. We'll put that in the show notes. And I got a feeling that you know whatever we we bring up now we're talking and whatever we talk about. You just say, oh, you already had this on the podcast. You already had this on the podcast. You already had, like, I got a feeling you listen to all of them. Can you tell me, I've never <laughs> asked this question before. Can you tell me what uh, what value do you get out of listening to this podcast? I'd, I'd really like to know. I So I've, I've thought about this. I think, you know, one, you have interesting guests, you know, that's that's key. Um, the guests, they have such dynamic backgrounds. Like they, they come from, like there's, 
some that are your students, others that were in academia and switched over to you know, data science role. Um, uh, interestingly, like a lot of like physics majors, nanoscience, things like that. And it's just, it's, it's interesting. And I feel like, you know, even though I got an accounting degree, like I too can be that in that spot as well. And it kind of gives, it gives me motivation. It, it helps me um, know kind of the, what's, what you're working on and what the latest tools are. I do like when people get, you know, nitty gritty with what are like the packages, some of your favorite packages in R, your favorite libraries, you know, in Python. I'll go up and I'll, I'll look those up and, and study those. And it's just kind of gives me another way to, to know what people are working on and how can I incorporate that into my work. So that's, that's been helpful. So thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate the comments. And um, yeah, spe- speaking of that, then it's, it's a really good point you mentioned that you, you like getting into nitty, the nitty gritty or when the guests get into the nitty gritty. And I feel that like, I like it too. <laughs> I really like talking to people when, you know, even you were describing your uh, business challenge uh, case study today. I was like, oh, wow, that's pretty cool. I, I've never, you know, uh, thought of uh, doing something like that. I've never done something like myself. And that's, it feels like oh, I'm learning something. I, I feel that a lot of our listeners do that as well. And also when you mentioned, you know, the different libraries and so on. And so I wanted to um, make a suggestion here that you've already mentioned the book that you would recommend to our listeners, which is The Obstacle is the Way by Ryan Holiday. And we'll include that in the show notes. So to finish off this podcast, instead of mentioning a book again, could you instead mention the libraries and uh, packages that you use in R and Python? So those of our listeners who are like you, who are interested in the nitty gritty, they can go and look them up. Yeah. Um, so I, I use Reshape 2 as a library I use to um, reshape data mm-hmm. from like a long format to a, um, a, a wider format. Um, matrix stats. I use uh, Dipler. It's D-P-L-Y-R. Um, I use that a lot to uh, basically the model that I described. I need to know like uh, standard deviation of you know, variability of some of the sales data. Um, I use like some of the same stuff that you like stuff that you taught me c bind mm-hmm. um looking through my my r script yep. um so these are all r for now yeah you've mentioned so far. these are all r and then in python the, the few that i've used is pandas and mm-hmm. kind of the data uh, manipulation part um and scrapey and beautiful soup are the three that i that i've used fantastic i think that's that's plenty for our listeners to go and check out um, all right. Well, thank you very much, Paul, for coming on the podcast. It's been a pleasure to learn about you. And if our listeners would like to uh, contact you or follow you and follow your career, what is the best way to find you? I'm in LinkedIn, uh, Paul Brown, but uh, mm-hmm. I guess you could probably find a lot of Paul Browns. Uh, I'm in, in Ogden, Utah. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a website that I don't really, I, I update every few weeks. It's intrinsicallydeep.com. Mm-hmm. Um, those two locations are kind of where I spend most of my time. Fantastic. We'll include those in the show, show notes. So intrinsicallydeep.com and we'll also include Paul's LinkedIn. So go ahead there and uh, make sure you stalk Paul and connect with him and ask him all about his ventures in Python R, Tableau and more. Thank you so much, Paul. Really appreciate you coming on the show today. Thanks so much, Kirill. You're, you're my hero. <laughs> Thanks. You're my hero too. Bye. Yeah, bye. So there you have it. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and picked up a lot of valuable insights and tips and tricks for your own career in data science. For me, perhaps the most valuable takeaway from this episode was how Paul uses data science in his own time to optimize and bring efficiency to his own side project. So the way he uses Python to do web scraping and literally make money online using data science. So that was very inspirational and also very interesting idea that he's had and just stands to show that data science opens paths for you, not only in your career that you're pursuing uh, in your workplace, which is great, which is fantastic, but also knowing data science can help you in your own side projects, can help you optimize your life, can help you do things that you otherwise wouldn't be able to do as quickly as efficiently. So that was a very fun and exciting episode for me. 
and I also hope you picked up quite a lot of stuff. So if you'd like to get the show notes and all of the links from this episode and also follow Paul on LinkedIn, then go to www.superdatascience.com 15 and there you'll find everything related to this episode, including all of the links. And also, if you're on Twitter, then follow me on Twitter. My handle is Kirill underscore Aramenko. And that way you won't miss any new episodes that come out and you'll be one of the first people to know about them. And I look forward to seeing you next time. Until then, happy analyzing. <laughs>